Morning, everyone. I hope you enjoyed your sleep this afternoon as much as I did. Ross has been busy all afternoon. He didn't get any shut eye. It's not fair. Sunday afternoons were designed for having a wee nap at some point and uh, refueling our energy for the week that lies ahead in the Christian service that lies ahead of us. And so the evening worship services fill the same role, gathering together to build one another up in faith as we go out as witnesses in this world. We're going to read together the same passage of Scripture that we read this morning, John chapter 15. I thought 25 minutes or however long I took this morning wasn't long enough in the one passage. So we're going to keep going in this same, same vein in these same verses. John chapter 15, we'll begin reading at verse 1. I'll read a few verses extra this evening. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Amen. Well, this morning we began our study into this passage, and we noted that the definition of fruit is in part mysterious and in the hands of our Heavenly Father at the end of the day. We recognize that the journey to fruitfulness is, is not devoid of real and challenging circumstances. We also recognize the importance of being present with one another in those difficult days. We also recognize that if Jesus is the true vine, then we need to leave li lead lives that seek to be free of hypocrisy and to be consistent with Him who is the truth. And so this evening, I want us to consider the question, what does it mean to abide in Christ? What does it mean to abide in Him? I mean, it's a common Scottish question, isn't it? Where do you abide? And I bet you, you never answer the question in Christ, unless you're being really awkward. Where do you abide? Where do you make your home is the translation that I prefer of that word. It's a bit wordy, but where are you making your home? It's what this passage is 
pointing to. There are no shortcuts to fruitfulness in the kingdom of God. We make our home in Christ in good times and in times of suffering and pain. So, what does it look like to make your home in Christ? Well, John's gospel doesn't use this word abide or remain very often. And so, all I want to do tonight is to take you through the places where John uses the word and see if it gives us a clue as to what it might mean for us to abide in Him. We're going to look at what's happening every time He uses the word, and hopefully we'll come up with five disciplines along the way that might be perfect for the Christian life, that might be described as being built in Him. We start off in John's Gospel, chapter 1, and verse 38 and 39. The story is lovely. It's a story beginning with John the Baptist, whose job is to prepare the way for Jesus and point everyone who's looking at John the Baptist to Jesus. John's life is really quite a fruitful life in that he achieves his goal, and his goal is not to be center stage. He's been center stage, and now he says, look at Jesus. And the fruitfulness of his life is going to be measured on how well he gets people to stop looking at him and start looking at Jesus. Imagine telling that to a celebrity today. Your job is to point people away from yourself. Our culture wants to point to the person, but John's job is, is in his own words, I must decrease he must increase. That was John's mission. Hardly a picture of success in our celebrity culture. And that's where we are in, in John chapter 1. John's disciples are getting sent off to, to start following Jesus. And we read these words, turning round, Jesus saw them, that's John's disciples, following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? That's our word. Where are you biding? Where are you making your house? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. So the first thing we see in the gospel is people spending the day with Jesus, engaging with Him, who is the living Word. Remember John 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. There are no shortcuts to getting to know Jesus. They have to spend time with Him, the living Word, engaging with Him from four and on into the rest of their lives indeed. You have to, to listen to people to get to know them, and that's what the disciples are doing. They're listening, they're spending time, they're getting to know Jesus. I had a couple of friends, they got onto a train in this former Soviet Union, just as things were opening up. It was 91-92. He was American, she was Ukrainian, and they got onto this train together. They had both bought tickets for the train separately. And they got on, and they discovered they had seats next to each other in the train. I'll be on a train journey on Tuesday down to Birmingham, about four hours long. This one was five days long. It's a big place, the former Soviet Union. And, and they got onto the train, and they were going to be sitting next to each other for five days. 
That meant they were going to be sleeping next to each other. I've been on one of these train journeys, and what you do is you kind of make up a cot up above, and then the seats below become a bed, and you get some sheets, and you, you hunker down for the night, then you get up when daylight returns, and, and so the journey goes on for five days. And this American guy and this Ukrainian girl, they get onto the train, and for five days they're next to each other, and they talk to one another. You can get to know somebody in five days on a train journey. They don't do the thing that I will do when I go on the train to Birmingham on Tuesday and is open the laptop and ignore everybody around about me as I work on the next sermon that I've got to preach. They talk to each other. And as the train journey came to the end, he turned to her and said, "Uh, will you marry me? And she said, yes. And a few months later, they were married. And the two became one. And that's similar to what Jesus is saying. He's proposing that we become one with Him. That we leave those we used to listen to and we join ourselves to Christ in an exclusive relationship. It's a bit like the children's talk this morning if you were here. You you can't be jumping from one side to the other. You've got to just choose Him. And like the early disciples, the key is continually spending time engaging with this living Word that tells them, tells us about Him. You've got to spend time getting to know Him. We need to put ourselves in the place of being drip-fed every day by His Word. In chapter 8 of John's Gospel, verse 31, he repeats this message of remaining in His Word. He says this, If you hold to my teaching... If you make your home in my teaching, if you live in my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is the good news of the gospel, that making our home in the teaching of Jesus Christ is what gives us true freedom. Folks would have you almost believe the opposite. We, we're, people are set free from addictions from gambling, from drugs, from drink. But He can set us free from the root of all self-destruction, which is, of course, selfishness and the idea of self-sufficiency. That's the root of everything that destroys relationships with others and with God. But by abiding in His Word, we can connect with the truth that is characteristic of the true vine, and it brings us freedom. You know, we can engage in God's Word in many, many ways. My least favorite, for me, is sitting down and reading it on my own. That's the one I find the hardest. Sitting down and read it with somebody else. I'll read it tonight with my wife before we go to bed. That's much, much easier for me. This idea of a quiet time that somebody tried to sell me when I was seven years old, when I was a wee kid, I just did not get it. And as hard as I tried, I've just felt worse and worse and worse and worse trying to get it. It just didn't work with who I was as a person in my psyche. Give me a crowd of people, I'll sit there with God's Word and love pouring over it. Give me one other just to help me along and it'll be great. But ask me to do it on my own, man, that's hard. But you can do it in so many ways these days. Flip open the laptop, open up an app, and one of our Baptist churches has created an amazing app called Rooted. You can download it from the Apple Store or, or from the Android Store as well. 
fantastic app for reading the Bible every day, built in Scotland by a Scottish Baptist church. Just, just search for Rooted. It's amazing, we think. It's a real gift to the church. You know, my wife and I once read the Bible in a year. That was a challenge. I've got a wife who kind of likes these targety type things, so she just kept me on, on, on schedule the whole time. At Kirk and Tillich Baptist Church right now, they're reading the whole of the New Testament together as a congregation. In eight weeks, I failed on day one. <laughs> but they're still going strong. They're going to finish in the next few weeks. You can listen to it. Some of them are listening on podcasts. You can watch videos of it with your kids. Just YouTube a Bible story and you'll find it. Somebody's already put it there. You can watch it as cartoons and everything. It's great. We're called to remain in His Word. And that doesn't mean occasionally. There was a survey done. I think it said that most Christians don't read the Bible between church services on a Sunday. It's only like 10% who actually engage with the Bible during the week. Engage with it regularly. I remember waking one morning at five o'clock in the morning. One good thing about being a minister is if you wake at five in the morning, the study's only next door. And so I got out of bed and made a cup of tea and went into my study and did my opening daily devotions, trying to anyway, read a bit of scripture, what's God saying to me. I wrote it down in my wee journal that I kept. And God was saying to me that morning that, I've got things in, under control. Things are in my hands. Don't be going worrying, Alan. And I wrote it all down, and I thought, okay, Lord, I don't know what that's about, but we'll see. By five o'clock that night, my wife was in hospital. Uh, she had gone into labor at 25 weeks gestation. That's not a good thing. Still 15 weeks to go. And three weeks later, she had a little baby that was two pounds and wait, he's the one that's training to be a minister today, so he's, it's a good news story. Um, but during that whole period of 15 weeks while we were wondering, is he going to live, is he going to die, how's he going to be, is he going to be fully healthy or, or whatever, that little scripture from 5 a.m. that morning sustained us. God had spoken and, and, and given us hope, and it meant we could go on. While we were doing that Bible in a year reading together, I remember it, it was about the 21st or the 22nd of December, we were almost finished the year. I was feeling a bit proud of myself. I had also been approached and, and been interviewed for the job of General Director of the Baptist Union of Scotland, and I had been invited back for a final interview, and I was thinking, this is kind of a big job, and I'm not really sure I really want it anymore. I'm discovering more and more of the challenges and more and more of the problems that are there. And that wasn't just that Jason Leach was on a committee. And uh, I was thinking, oh, no. And I was getting cold feet. And I can remember as the one show came on, I turned to my wife and I said, the forecast is for snow tomorrow. And I'm going to phone them up and say, I'm not coming for the interview. I'm just going to stick where I am in Dumfries. God's good. And he's here and he'll understand. And she went, all right. <laughs> and she said, let's get the Bible out and read the Bible in a year. We haven't done it today yet. So she got the Bible out. She said, you do the Old Testament reading, I'll do the New Testament reading. I said, that's fine. Hand me the Bible over. And I opened it up. The whole book of Jonah. <laughs> the Lord spoke. 
It's a living word. But he doesn't just speak on those big occasions that are easy to remember. He speaks every day. And we as his people need to take time to notice and experience his sustaining power when we engage with the living word. Now, I know I told you I had five points to this sermon. Don't worry, they're not all as long as the first one. First discipline for abiding is connecting with the living word. The second one is talking to Jesus honestly. Talking to Jesus honestly. You've maybe heard about it. It's called prayer. Some people use prayer as a, a, a wee shopping list. It's coming up to Christmas. We create lists of things that we'd like folk to get us. And sometimes we do that with God. But, but it's more than that. It's where we talk to Jesus about what we're learning, what we're hearing, what's happening in our life, and how we're going to handle what's happening in our life. It's where we grapple with ideas and thoughts. It's where I say, I listen to that sermon, Lord, and I know that it's right, but I don't like it, and I don't want to do it. And he takes time to speak back to us and sort us out. It's where we have honest conversations. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, the early disciples asked Jesus where he's staying so they can have conversation time with him. One of them talking about Jesus says this, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He was slagging Jesus off. And Jesus knew. I wonder how he felt when he found out that Jesus knew, because sometimes we're happy to say things behind people's backs. But actually, Jesus is up for the open conversation. In chapter 4, Jesus is invited to abide in the Samaritan village so that people can explore things further with him. They've heard about this woman. Now they want to hear more. They want a conversation to explore. And we call that prayer. Later today, tonight, you can sit down before you go to bed and you can say, well, Alan said a lot today. What's if it was worth holding on to? What is relevant to my life, Jesus? You can ponder this encounter with the Bible with Jesus in prayer honestly. When we make our home with Jesus, we, we invite him into our conversations. We invite him into our thinking. We invite him into our decisions, our choices, our frustrations, our excitement. We seek his guidance. We seek his direction. We bring him into our confusion as well as the times where we're thinking clearly. And if we look at the conversations he has with people in the Bible, some of them are pretty frank and to the point. I'm a bit jealous of those people who have amazing prayer lives. You know the ones? I was talking to a Scottish guy who's got Nigerian parents, and he's a Baptist minister in Reading. And amazing things are happening through him. He's literally seeing thousands of people come to faith on the streets of his town. He's going out and telling people that, that God loves them and has a plan for their life. And, and at the end of the conversation, people are giving their lives to Christ. Some of them are finding their way into churches all over Europe. It, it, it's quite an amazing thing. And I, I asked Yinka, that's his name, he grew up in Edinburgh. I said to him, Yinka, why is the Lord using you? You're just an ordinary Baptist minister. At least you have been for the last decade. 
Nothing spectacular has happened in your church. They've just kind of got on with things the way that other Baptist ministers got on with things. And all of a sudden, everywhere you go, thousands of people are turning to Jesus. What is it? Have you got the gift of evangelism? He said, no, I don't think so. I said, are you an amazing preacher? Because I've never heard you preach. He said, no, Alan, I'm not an amazing preacher. And as we had lunch together, he started talking about his prayer life. <laughs> and he started talking about, you know, it was an early start this morning. I, I had to be on a plane by 7 o'clock to get here, which meant getting up at 4. I said, you Reckon's not that far from Heathrow Airport. I said, but, you know, I've got to spend a couple of hours with the Lord before I got to the airport. All right. <laughs> a couple of hours. Every day? Really? You just kind of go, it's my thing. It's not everybody's thing, but it, it, it's my thing. Now, that made me feel about this big. <laughs> But he wasn't doing it to make me feel that big because he said, you have a gift as well, Alan, that you use differently. But I have a gift of prayer. And I love being in the Lord's presence. And maybe you're more like me than like Yinka. Maybe you, you struggle to gab a few moments, a few seconds at times. Sometimes you can get excited because you prayed one minute longer today than you did yesterday. And you can rejoice in that. But we'll struggle to make our home with Christ unless we learn to talk to Him at some point. Unless we learn to have those open conversations, those questioning conversations with Him. The disciples learned to do that. It was their second discipline, if you like. Thirdly was communion. John chapter 6 uses the abiding word in relation to the Lord's Supper. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains or abides in me, and I in them. Now, I don't believe that there's some form of magic going on at a communion table that means we need to take communion every day or even every week to remain in Him. But communion allows us to do certain things that are vital to those of us who are making our house in Christ. Communion helps us remember the depth of His love, doesn't it? It reminds us every time we're tempted to believe the lie that we're worthless, that no one loves us, communion reminds us that Christ loved us so much that He gave His life for us. It reminds us that while we were sinners, while we were far away from Him, He died for us. He loves us. It's also a place we're reminded of forgiveness. We often hold on to our own sin. It's amazing. You know, we've been forgiven, but we don't let ourselves even forget sometimes. And communion is a place where we can come and remember that our pasts are cleansed, that we are forgiven that we don't need to punish ourselves on an ongoing basis. It's also a place of community. We come to take one loaf, to drink from one cup or drink together. It reminds us we're not alone. That our church is our family, the place we belong, the place of support, the place of comfort, the place of challenge, the place of correction. They're the people who keep us real and who keep us in the truth and help us avoid hypocrisy like we talked about this morning when we get those crazy ideas in our heads. 
Communion is a place where we're reminded that it's not just about me, this faith thing. It's about all of us together. Baptist way of doing communion doesn't always help with that, does it? We close our eyes and examine our shoes for some reason. We sit in silence, facing the front or looking down. But, but communion is about lifting our heads and lifting our eyes. It's about looking around us and engaging with those around us. It's not about something we do in our own little space. Communion, you don't take on your own. You take in community with others. One of the things the Anglicans have probably got better than we have. They share the peace with one another. They get up out of their seats and they walk down to an altar. Don't kind of get that bit. But at least they're meeting with others as they go and they're looking at others and saying, we're doing this together. We're in this together. We make our home with others at communion when we make our home in Christ. And then John 15 takes us into our fourth discipline, which is loving one another. The abiding in Christ flows over into love for others. Verse 12, love one another as I have loved you. This is the easy gospel, of course. John's the easy gospel. We only need to love one another for John. Elsewhere, we need to, to love our neighbors, whoever they are. And then beyond that, we have to love our enemies as well. But John makes it easy. He just says, love one another. The folks in the pew round about you, the other disciples, the ones that you know and love anyway, the ones who don't make life awkward for you ever, they're the ones that you have to love. You know, our churches in Scotland have grown significantly in the last years in their love for the communities that they're in. I don't know, I think the period of austerity that the country's gone through has actually been good for the church because it's learned to love in fresh ways. You know, food banks and stuff happening all over the place. Befriending groups happening. Folks sitting down and opening up church buildings so that groups can come in and use them. There are lots of expressions of, of love going on. People sharing skills with, with others. Last night in Glasgow, street chaplains walking all over Glasgow city centre. Tomorrow morning, there'll be church halls opened up for toddlers groups to come into and the community to come into, and they'll experience the love of the church in one way or another. Loving others is the natural thing for Christians to do. We've experienced the greatest love of all poured into our lives, and so we pour it out, what's filling us up. And, and we're not to worry about whether it's effective or not. We're not to pour out love on people in the hope that they will like us. We're not to pour out love on people in the hope that they'll become a Christian. We're not to pour out love on people in the hope that they'll make our church bigger. Because if we did that, we'd have a name for it. Hypocrisy. Because Jesus didn't love us in that way. He poured out His love in all the world. Whether they respond to Him or not, He still died for them. He still gave Himself for them. And we're called to copy that love. So we pour out love whether it's given back or not. That's tough. 
For 17 years, my wife and I were foster carers. We had uh, 14 different kids lived in our house at different times, sometimes more than one at a time. Chaos might have been a good word for it at times. We poured out our love on young children and teenagers. And you know, sometimes they said thank you. The latest one, we don't foster anymore, but we still care for one of them very, very closely. And it was his 18th, what, it's his 18th birthday on Wednesday. And we had the party and celebrations yesterday. And he had a great time. But did he say thank you as he went out the door? No. When they crossed his mind to say thank you for us having a party for 10 people and looking after them for the rest of the day. And sometimes we poured out love on these kids and, and they went into Ruth's purse or into my wallet and they nicked money from it. And sometimes they swore their heads off at us. And occasionally they assaulted us. And they abused us and they embarrassed us in public. One of them told a Sunday school teacher exactly what he thought of their lesson. While I was preaching and his mother was leading worship. We don't love people for results. Verse 18, Jesus says, If the world hates you, it hated me before it hated you. Here is Jesus pouring out his love for the world, and the response he gets is hate. And he says, So if that's what happens, that's what happens. Still pour out your love. We don't love to be loved. We love because we are loved. And we're called to remain in the act of pouring out love, even if we're hated for it. Well, finally, the last discipline for remaining in Christ, invite others into the conversation. The final aspect of remaining, invite others to follow. Back in chapter 1, Andrew invites Simon to come and listen to Jesus. Then Philip invites Nathaniel. In chapter 4, I love chapter 4, the whole village is invited to listen to Jesus by this one woman who's experienced his love. Let's just pause there for a second. Who should have done that? John chapter 4. Jesus arrives on the outskirts of the Samaritan village. He stops at the well for a drink, and his disciples go into the village to buy some food. What do the disciples do when they get to the village? They buy some food. Anything else? Nothing. And then they come back out to Jesus with the food. And they say, here's the sandwiches, Jesus. And they're amazed at this conversation that's going on. The woman, she's met with Jesus. And what does she do? She goes back to the same village where the disciples had been minutes before and she invites them all to come and meet with Jesus. Now, in chapter 1, the disciples had remembered that was their job. They had remembered to invite others to come and meet Jesus, but somehow the excitement's worn off by chapter 4. And they've forgotten to invite people to meet with Jesus. And I, I wonder if the church in Scotland's got a bit like that. You know, for the, the six weeks after we became Christians, we were inviting lots of people to come and find out about the new faith that we had discovered. But give us a few months and a few years and some of us a few decades, 
and all of a sudden we've forgotten that we've got a job to invite people to meet Jesus. And sometimes we can be so busy loving and caring and doing lovely things for people that while we're doing that, we forget to tell them, oh, by the way, you know, some of the inspiration for this stuff is because I've been loved by Jesus. And that's not wrong. That's not out of order. That's exactly what's expected of a disciple. The people of Scotland are disillusioned with what has been peddled as success. They experience pain in everyday life that has met, left so many people asking, what does a fruitful life look like? And you know. But will you tell them? Will you tell them? We've discovered the importance of demonstrating love in practical ways, but it seems to me we've lost the confidence in sharing the hope that we have within us. To speak with gentleness, kindness, boldness, and hope. To share our stories. To say, come and see the guy who's changed my life. Come and engage with his words. Explore what prayer means. One of the fun things that's happened in Kirk and Tiller Baptist Church, I'm a member there. I'm a bad member there. I mean, I turn up, even in services, about every fortnight. Other than that, they never see me. And they still love me, so it's okay. But one of the amazing things that's been lovely to look on is they used to have an Alcoholics Anonymous group met up in one of the upper rooms. And uh, nobody much connected with them. They came and went, did their own thing, you know. And, and, and some guys in the church said, we're going to start a try praying thing. And we're going to have it in the church when the Alcoholics Anonymous group's upstairs. And one or two of them positioned themselves outside the toilets. Because there's one thing about Alcoholics Anonymous groups that if you've ever been around them, you'll know they do two things. They drink a lot of iron brew and they smoke a lot of cigarettes. So these guys come up and down the stairs like a yo-yo to go to the toilet and to go outside for a smoke. And these guys positioned themselves just outside the toilets. And they would engage with them. They'd come down and oh, what are you doing sitting there? Oh, we're just praying. Praying? Aye, we pray. That's what we do. We pray. Have you ever prayed? What about your addiction? Oh, well, kind of, there's this God thing going on. It's, oh, but, but have you ever talked to God about it? No, no, come and pray with us. And one by one, these guys at the AA group started praying with these guys. And they wouldn't make it easy for them. They didn't sit down and say, I'll pray for you. They said, no, you pray. Well, what will I say? Well, just say whatever comes into your head. Talk to God like he's next to you. These guys soon stopped, didn't stop going to AA, but they started coming to church as well. That was fun. See, when the sermon got boring, they went out for a fag. I nearly joined them on a few occasions. <laughs> that was the preacher. <laughs> but lives began to get transformed. One after another after another. The church had been showing love for years, letting the group use, use the hall for year after year after year. And eventually somebody said, somebody's got to say something. And they went and they sat in a place where they were going to encounter one another and they said, but have you met with Jesus? Have you talked it over with him? And lives have been transformed. 
Let's encourage people to taste and see that the Lord is good, because He is. What's this passage got to say to us? It kind of says, don't aim for the medals. Don't aim for the glitzy life. Don't aim for the success, your moment on TV. Don't aim for the fancy big church, the mega church. But let's look at who we are in Christ. Let's focus on making our homes in Jesus. Let's focus on engaging with His Word. Let's get into conversation with Him. Let's get into communion with Him and God's people. Let's pour out love. And then let's let people know why we're doing that. That's the five disciplines of remaining. That's how you make your house with Jesus. And when we make our house with Jesus, hey, He'll do with that what He wants to do with it. He'll fulfill His purposes. He'll bless it. And He'll use it to bring the fruit forth that He needs to in you and in others around you.